This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, transfusion medicine pathologist, assistant professor of laboratory medicine and pathology at Mayo Clinic. And today we're rounding with Dr. Timothy Wilshire, assistant professor of laboratory medicine and pathology in the division of transfusion medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, to talk about what's new with CAR T-cells. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Wilshire. Uh, my pleasure, Dr. Coyer. Thanks for the uh, invite. Absolutely. I always like kind of kicking off with, the, you know, why is this an important topic for our audience of clinicians, laboratory professionals, and students? So why is CAR-T important for healthcare folks to appreciate in 2023? So CAR-T really is a, a relatively new modality, and I think it's fundamentally changed the, the way we're treating some cancers. We call these living drugs because we're using cells as a living drug. And CAR-T has shown promising results and impressive response rates in patients that have already had two or three lines of treatment already. So it's really offering new hope to patients who have failed multiple lines of prior treatment. I think it's a significant breakthrough for the handful of heme malignancies that are being treated using CAR-T, which we don't come across a lot of these in our lifetime uh, that significantly change the landscape of CAR-T therapy. If you think about it, in therapy, a typical drug is, a, is considered a success if there's a you know maybe a 10% difference in overall survival or a few months increase in survival. With CAR-T, we're talking greater than 80% initial response rates in people that have already had prior lines of therapy. Uh, and many of these people, the five-year survival rate is 40 to 50%. So it's a pretty significant number of people you know, who respond to this type of therapy. And like I said, these types of breakthroughs don't happen very often in cancer therapy. I think the most powerful illustration of this is the first pediatric patient named Emily Whitehead. And if you haven't read her story, this little girl is alive over 10 years after being treated as the first pediatric CAR-T patient. Uh, we're talking about somebody that only had a couple months to live and kind of did this as a, you know, a Hail Mary. Um, so this is hope not provided through any other conventional treatment modalities. And I think we're still in the early stages of CAR-T development and use. So it's a pretty exciting field. Wow. Well, you certainly got my attention when you're talking about what kind of success we're we're seeing with this. I'm kind of reflecting on as you were talking about, you know, this is a living drug. I definitely am going to be using that with my immunology students next week. These are the patient's own cells, right? And like it's Correct. kind of maybe a little confusing of like, okay, this patient was on their deathbed. How are we taking their own cells and then turning them into this living drug? Can you give us a little bit of background on like, what should healthcare professionals understand about CAR-T? I mean, people might hear the acronym, but what should we appreciate about these? Right. And I think that's the exciting thing is CAR-T uses the body's own T cells. The human immune system is a pretty delicate and intricate response. And our best fight against developing cancer, I often tell lay people that ask me what I do, I said, I make CAR-T cells. And it's really harnessing the power of the human immune system to treat cancer because your your body has you know hundreds, even thousands of cancer cells in it each day. It's only when they can avoid the immune system that they can actually develop a tumor or it only takes one of those cells. So I think this is an exciting class of treatments. And I think to try to get people to understand it, we're really taking the T cells out and genetically modifying them with a receptor that's specific towards their tumor type. So we can, we can make a CAR, which is a chimeric antigen receptor, 
that's specific for a target that's expressed on the tumor. Uh, and then we use some genetic modification to basically prime these. So as soon as that receptor is engaged, it activates and kills the tumor. It's a very intriguing part for me because one of the hallmarks of tumor development is the evasion of the immune response, like I said. So we're harnessing the immense power of the hum human body to reintroduce the tumor to the immune system. So all we have to do is reintroduce them to each other and they can, you know, it can have its effect on the tumor and more specifically, as opposed to traditional chemotherapy, where you're just trying to find a therapeutic window to kill the cancer cells and not the healthy cells. I heard you earlier, your first answer kind of talking about, and I, I picked up on you, you dropping the hematologic malignancy specifically. Is it true to say that we've seen success specifically in the hematologic cancers like leukemias, but not necessarily like the solid tumors, like maybe breast cancer or prostate cancer? Correct. So I, obviously this is the low-hanging fruit. When you're talking about a heme malignancy, it's something that's circulating in the bloodstream and is much easier access. Most of the ones we treat at this point are, are B cells. So we have lymphomas or multiple myelomas where there's a target such as CD19 or BCMA. That makes it the low-hanging fruit. So, you know, there still remains a huge untapped potential for CAR-T in several areas. That is moving it closer up to the first-line therapy because, you know, data now is showing that earlier we can get the treatment with CAR-T is leading uh, to higher complete remission rates uh, versus standard chemotherapy as a first line. We're also moving into solid tumors, as you kind of hinted towards there. A lot of difficulties with that, because obviously a solid tumor is much different than something circulating in the body, but there's pretty significant amount of research going into that. I did actually look it up just to see, and there's over 300 INDs with the FDA now for CAR-T trials. Oh, and, I'm sorry. Can you explain IND? What do you mean oh, by that? Sorry. sorry. I'm in my world where that's what we do is clinical trials. So it's an investigation new, new drug application. So this is how you run a clinical trial, basically. You submit to the FDA an IND, basically says what drug you're going to use, what population you're going to use it in, and how are you going to manufacture it. And so... There's over 300 of these applications with the uh, FDA right now uh, running CAR-T trials. So the major push are to make these more broadly used in solid tumors, as well as make them more effective in the tumors that we're already treating effectively. You know, one thing I'm reflecting on listening to you, it sounds like this field is just, as evidence you're talking, 300 investigational new drugs out there is just exploding. And certainly there are centers, you know, like your own laboratory that are doing a lot of this work. You know, our listeners may be in a whole variety of different situations. They may not necessarily have uh, a CAR-T facility at their hospital, but certainly everybody, including our student listeners, can look at articles that are published in journals, right? That's a common practice for probably most of our audience. As an expert in this field, are there a few things that you look for when you read an article that's reporting about CAR T cells? Because I think maybe the more broader public, professional healthcare public, it's a new field. We may not understand how to critically read this literature. Do you have a couple pointers on, on what you kind of pay attention to or what you look for with these? Yeah, I have to admit, I'm a little more 
jaded than the the general public because obviously I work in a GMP facility and our goal is to be able to translate these things in the clinic. So when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at more at, can we do this? Is this something we can manufacture? Because that's it's obviously an issue translating from the bench to the bedside, which is what we do. Definitely other things to look at. Some targets are useful and some aren't. I mean, if, if you think about a solid tumor, Anytime that grows, you know, over a specific size, you don't have vasculature in there. So it's difficult to see how you're going to kill a solid tumor unless you have something else going along with it. So there is studies out there that look at, say, like delivering a payload or something that help penetrate a tumor more. Or when they engage with a solid tumor, they're going to put off some perforins or something that's going to kill cells. So definitely looking at the strategies and how they kill them, because as we know, there's a lot of things that can kill tumor cells in a dish or even in a mouse model that aren't going to do it in a human. So that's kind of the lens I put on it, which probably isn't what most people would look at, but definitely looking at the feasibility of, I can put an artificial CAR T in there and kill a tumor if it's expressing what I need to, but is it going to be useful in the long run? It's just like anything. If you give a high enough dose of of any kind of drug, you're going to kill all the cells, but is there a therapeutic window there? For more laboratory education, including a listing of conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. I think that's a brilliant answer for our audience to hear, right? This idea, and uh, you know, I'm grateful you kind of share this this perspective of practicality, right? Because I think everybody can kind of relate to that, and I think that can instantly make this literature a lot more accessible to people that are reading it to reflect on and and think about these things. About yeah, I heard you talk about access talking about really feasibility of things. And then you mentioned targets, right? And there you're talking about what are we engineering the T-cell to go after, which as I understand it, that's kind of been a limiting thing because of, I guess I hear it described as off-target effects. Can you kind of explain what that is? Yeah, and that's really a therapeutic window because if you find a target that's on the tumor, but also on healthy cells, you're going to be killing those as well. So there are a few ways around that and some things which try to deal with that, such as logic-gated CAR T-cells, where you're looking at a specific mutation along with a target. So you really want on-target effects without the off-target toxicity, which is difficult to come by if you don't have a good tumor target. So mm-hmm. I think that's what a lot of the the basic, basic research is trying to flesh out some of these targets that can be expressed on the surface of the cell that are easy hits. I think we've found a lot of those, so it's getting more difficult as we go along. But like I said, the low-hanging fruit we've gotten, it's just getting more complicated now as we look for that therapeutic window where it's expressed on the tumor and not normal, healthy cells. Maybe this is a good time to kind of slip into this. I think CAR-T is getting out there enough that, I mean, I certainly, we're getting into interview season right now as we're recording this. It's kind of late October, and we get certainly a percentage of our applicants pathology programs are applying to pathology and expressing an interest in CAR-T. So this has really kind of established itself. And so I'm curious, what are some of the new things that have come out recently? Yeah, I've kind of hinted at a few of those, but really we know 
there's a major push towards living a more healthy CAR T cell to make them more persistent in the body. That means avoiding exhaustion while encouraging long-term growth because studies are showing if we can keep the CAR T in the body and healthy for longer periods of time, people have better responses. There's many ways to do that. Um, shorter growth times, actually using the body as the incubator, so putting in less cells and allowing them to grow up within the body. So we're also expressing different receptors on there, such as a, a membrane-bound cytokine receptor, which causes the CAR-T to grow. So it gets in the body and grows from there. So we can deliver lower doses, which theoretically equals you know, less um, toxicities and side effects while making sure that the CAR-T grows while it's in there. There's also pushes towards you know, aloe CAR-T products. We have something off the shelf. A lot of the patients that receive CAR-T in heme malignancies are in dire straits by the time they reach us. They only have a matter of, of a short time. So if we could come up with something off the shelf, an allogeneic CAR-T, that would be useful. Uh, can, can we take a little bit of a deeper dive into that? Because I think I get where you're going, but I just want to make sure our listeners appreciate, you know, when you were talking about CAR-T, so far we've been talking about autologous or from the patient's right. own self, but you just said allogeneic, so from a different person, and you use the phrase off the shelf, ready to go. Can you kind of maybe go back? What's involved with creating your typical CAR-T? What's that timeline look like? And then that yeah. contrasted with this off the shelf idea. Yeah. So there's there's now six commercially approved CAR-Ts by the FDA that can be prescribed, and they take anywhere from three to four weeks, sometimes even a little bit more. And there is competition for those slots. So an off-the-shelf would be ready to go, but it's also a non-self. So as soon as it goes into the body, the body recognizes it as a T-cell that came from somebody else, and it's going to attack it. So some of the strategies are knocking down, say, some of the, the MHC-class molecules, so uh, the body doesn't recognize it. So I think people are working towards that, but it's still the low-hanging fruit is the, you know, the aut autologous but it also has the drawbacks, you know, of it takes some time to manufacture and at a significant cost. So, so where do you see the future of CAR T cells going? Do you think it's going to progress along this pathway of developing, you know, autologous constructs that are going to be more effective against solid tumor? And, you know, we're going to figure out more of that access feasibility or, you know, do you think of more of this off the shelf is going to be further perfected or, you know, is there some kind of a combination where an off the shelf is kind of like some in case of emergency break glass kind of product, right. but some of the autologous, what's, what are your thoughts on the future for the field? Yeah, and you've hit on a on a huge debate in the field right now of, of where this is going to move because, as I said, there is a limited manufacturing of these. That's a huge barrier to it. So if we get to the allogeneic, it would be great. I think there are significant obstacles both mechanistically as well as logistically in a regulatory context because when you're genetically modifying a cell, and in this case, you know, you'd use CRISPR to knock something out. So it's recognized as self. So that creates a whole other layer of regulations as far as the FDA is concerned. So I, th I think we may get there someday, but it is more of that, the dream of getting to that someday where we can take somebody's healthy T cells as opposed to somebody that's been heavily pretreated and use those for manufacturing. There's going to be a lot of strides made in reducing the side effects as we, we get more effective and put healthier cells in.
I was just reflecting as you're talking about transplantation, right, which is another strategy that's used for patients with uh, some heme malignancies. And when we talk about transplantation, a lot of times there are pretty significant inequalities, non-equity among different ethnic backgrounds, because we don't have many like minority donors in the National Marrow Donor Program, for example. Is this a more equitable product that we're seeing, or are there still some struggles with getting uh, equity for uh, different populations with CAR-T? Yeah, sadly, no, it's not a very equitable treatment modality because really because one of the largest barriers is cost. And we know, you know, from other data that if you're socioeconomically disadvantaged or minority, the cost is a seriously prohibitive factor. So I think that's one thing that people are looking at. And there's there's entire companies now that are founded on trying to make it a more equitable not just for the people in the US, but people outside of the US, because you know, we're you know, US, Europe, some of the Asian countries and Australia are really the only ones that have broad access, what we call broad access, which is still very limited. So I I think that is a, a huge issue moving forward, you know, which is in healthcare in general, there's inequities. And this one really magnifies that because of the sheer cost of delivering a CAR-T product. Mm. And is is the promise of an off-the-shelf not just uh, the emergency, but could that be a cheaper option? Yeah, I think much cheaper option because, I mean, if you think about it, this is a one patient, one product manufacturing. So we're collecting the raw material from the patient, sending it off to a, a manufacturing facility, which, you know, significant resources to to have a facility like that, they manufacture and then send it back. So the commercial car tees at this point are somewhere between four and $500,000 for one dose. So it's a significant cost to patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've been rounding with Dr. Wilshire talking about the importance of CAR-T for healthcare professionals. Dr. Wilshire, I think you've given our audience uh, a lot to think about, uh, a better understanding of how to read this literature, and then also to continue to kind of highlight some of the inequities in our current system. I think hopefully for our student listeners, this really kind of sparks some thoughts from them. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Greuter. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email to mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through educational conversations.